Well, with all, with all catastrophes, uh, as is the case in Lytton, there is always the undeniable thoughts of what if, what could have been done differently to prevent it, for instance, or at least limit the damage once the fire began to spread. Well, a report released last month into the fire by the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction looked into those questions and also made some recommendations on how not just Lytton, but all communities across this country can better protect themselves against the threat of wildfires, specifically areas uh so-called wildlife urban interface areas where you know people live on the edge of, of wilder areas of forest, so to speak. Um, because that threat feels like it's increasing. 60% of Canada's communities, according to the very same report, are located on the wildlife urban interface, land that is on the edge of a forest, shrubland, or grassland. Alan Westhaver spent 35 years with Parks Canada. He's now a wildland urban fire consultant. He's also, also co-author of that report on the Lytton Fire published earlier this year by the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction. And he joins us now from Salmon Arm. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Good evening, Ben. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. I guess just someone who knows his his wildfire as well, just your assessment of the ferocity of the Lytton Fire. Well, I have to say that the, the situation was extreme, but it was not exceptional. Um, we were we were asked to go to Lytton to look at uh, to do an examination to, to to look at the wildfire itself, but also how the homes ignited from it and how the fire managed to spread through the community, the three Lytton communities, and what could be done to prevent it, and in particular, how could Lytton rebuild to be more fire resilient? And that was a key conclusion that you know that the conditions when we say they were extreme, there was a there was definitely high winds, and it was the fuel, the forest, and, and the community was very dry. And, and that's essentially the, the two things that that set the stage. Um, those conditions aren't really all that rare, especially with the advent of climate warming. But uh, what we did see was a pattern that's repeated uh, virtually in every other wildland urban fire disaster in the States or Australia or Canada. And uh, this is is what we're hoping that we can avoid in the future. One thing I found interesting uh, listening to to you talk about this and reading your report was that I think a lot of us pictured this sort of wall of flame emerging from, from the forest and taking the town with it. That's not what happened here. Uh, that's exactly right, Ben. That is the, the primary perception that people have, that they think of fire uh, much as, uh, as we would a landslide or a tidal wave, that just it's a force that engulfs communities. It's irresistible. Uh, but that's that's not the fact. That's not true. Fire is really uh, it's a process, and fire can only go where the conditions for combustion are met, and that's where there's fuel that's r- readily ignited. And that's the situation that we face, as you point out, in, in many Canadian communities and what we call the wildland urban interface or that situation. It's, it's, not, it's not the big flames time and again. It's really uh, what accompanies wildland fires, whether it's a grass fire or a forest fire. There's just millions, a virtual blizzard of tiny embers that are blowing in the wind and driving into the community and uh, finding small places where fires, spot fires can begin and begin to grow and spread through materials that we have 
generally very close to our homes um, that uh, ignite the homes. And aside from embers, um, you know, low creeping flames that manage to to wind their way from from one object or one material to another. It happens very quickly, that's for sure. I know one of the challenges you faced when trying to figure out what happened in in, in at least how the fire spread, not how it started, but how it spread, uh, was that there weren't many people there to tell you how things had had caught fire. But you were able to figure out to some extent how that fire spread so quickly. Um, how did how did that happen? Well, we 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 looked very carefully at the the sur- land surrounding the community of Lytton at the wildland fuels, and we also gathered over a period of months. A, a number, a large number of images that showed us, uh, gave us evidence of where the fire was and what was igniting and when. And we, we built a chronology um, that was rather remarkable. Um, within 20 minutes of the first report of the fire, um, the fire had spread about a third of the way around the community of Lytton. It was moving on four independent pathways uh, driven by the wind and, and moving with the slope. And within half an hour, it had crossed the Trans-Canada Highway, and in less than an hour, it had spread all the way to the far end of the town. And in less than an hour and a half, there was more than 20 homes that were fully engulfed in fire. And uh, all of those homes had the ability at that point to spread fires to homes that were nearby. Uh, so that's uh, extremely fast, and uh, you know, talking to firefighters at that point, you know, within an hour, hour and a half, it would have taken more than sixty fire engines to even contain those fires, let alone stop them from spreading. So that's beyond any conceivable response capability, even for large communities. So, um, kind of our bottom line, our conclusion similar to many other studies, that if if only fewer homes had ignited to begin with, firefighters would have been much more effective. And that's our goal. You know, we, we, uh, we need to stop looking at this as a wildfire problem uh, because they're inevitable. <laughs> We're going to have more of them. Uh, we need them in our ecosystems. But uh, we need homes and communities to be more resistant to those ignition by those little embers and we can avoid disasters like like the Litton community has suffered and is still suffering. Yeah, you mentioned that even something like the half the Calgary Fire Department, if they'd all been happened to be right in the middle of Lytton when this all started, that they would have had trouble. Uh, perhaps not not that that exaggerated, but you know, even a big city fire depart, fire uh, fighting capacity would have had a very hard time uh, doing anything in Lytton on that day. Yeah, no, I don't uh, I don't disagree with you at all, and I don't think it is exaggerating that even if they were there, you know, the conditions uh, for firefighters have to be safe before they can attend fires. And those were, when that many homes are burning that close together, it's not safe or doable under those conditions. And as we know, um, in a very short time, uh, virtually all structures in the three Lytton communities were, uh, were consumed by fire. Um, very interestingly, uh, the tall trees all around the community and some right in the community, in fact, did not burn. Uh, really? The fire was moving on the ground. It was a 
fast-moving and very intense grass fire. Uh, but uh, those many of those trees are, are still standing. That's remarkable because that's, I mean, I, I think a lot of us just don't understand how fire works uh, when it comes to those environments. Yes, and I think in taking that, that you know, that actual perspective, it gives, should give us a lot of hope because we control, as homeowners, you and I, uh, virtually all of the factors that, that allow those embers to ignite small fires that become quickly become big fires. Um, generally, we have a saying that it's small things that we can do that make a big difference, and that is the, the root uh, of the, the Canadian Fire Smart Program which is heavily promoted here in British Columbia and, and elsewhere in Canada. I'm speaking with Alan Westhaver, who is in fact one of the co-founders of the Fire Smart program. He spent 35 years with Parks Canada. He's now a wildland urban fire consultant. He's also the co-author of a recent report on the Lytton Fire, uh, looking into uh, both uh, how quickly it spread, why, and what can be done to prevent, uh, to mitigate the risks, not just in Lytton, but in other communities across the country as well. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about some of those recommendations and just how communities can better fireproof themselves. Uh, We'll get to that after this. Ahead of the one-year anniversary of the Lytton Fire tomorrow, that deadly and destructive fire that decimated that small town in BC, we're speaking with Alan Westhaver. He spent 35 years with Parks Canada. He's a wildland urban fire consultant, which is, of course, very important when talking about fires such as the one that devastated that town, and also uh, co-authored a report on the Lytton Fire published earlier this year by the Institute for Catastrophic Loss and Reduction, which included recommendations on how to mitigate some of these risks. And that's really an interesting uh, fact here because while Lytton's circumstances, as you said, were extreme but not exceptional, uh, Lytton is certainly one of the warmest places in the country, but it can't be the only place that faces these kinds of threats, quite obviously. So what can we learn from the Lytton fire about how we should be better fireproofing our communities, specifically the ones right on the edge of uh, these grasslands and forests and so forth? Thanks, Dan. I'd like to just start briefly with a, a minute to acknowledge the the solemn anniversary of the Lytton community and to remember that the people of that those communities, their lives will be di- disrupted for many years to come and they still have a huge, huge challenges before them. A um, couple of things there, Ben. You mentioned uh, fireproofing uh, your home. I don't think there's any such thing. It, it always gives, in my imagination, I, I picture myself living in a cinder block bunker in the middle of the Walmart uh, parking lot, that would be fireproof. You know, instead, most of us want to enjoy and do enjoy living in a natural setting. And that's entirely possible um, if we if we take take it to heart and mitigate those risks, hopefully before we have to actually rebuild like folks in Fort McMurray and many other places. So uh, that's the choices we have. And you know, building on our conclusions, we need to really focus on just the small area within 30 meters of our homes. Uh, This is, it's those conditions within that, what we call the home ignition zone, that really control our fate. And and our emphasis needs to be on dealing with those little vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities that exist there, you know, where embers could take root or a creeping fire could spread and bring flames into contact with our homes. So I think the, the first thing I would say in general terms is 
people should uh, definitely look up the FireSmart Canada website or the BC uh, FireSmart uh, website to get the whole the whole picture. But generally speaking, uh, you know, there's a few simple things that we should do. And first of all, a lot of those vulnerabilities relate to the kind of vegetation that we have around our homes. Most of it is switch plant things that we've planted or landscaped ourselves. And some of those are very flammable materials. And I think um, if, you, if you think like an ember, you know, look at those places, look critically at your property where an ember could start a fire and carry that into contact with your home. Um, it's very important that even just a 1.5 meter non-combustion zone that surrounds our home, whether it's a walkway or green grass or gravel, um, a narrow strip that keeps those flames away that, you know, that may creep towards us. Um, Look around your property for any accumulation of fine leaves or needles or branches that would ignite. It doesn't take high temperatures for fuel to dry out. Uh, as long as it's dry and particularly windy, um, we're, we could be in trouble. You know, look for openings either on or under uh, your home, under the eaves, uh, or your outbuildings where embers could get in and start a fire on the inside of your home. And kind of the next category is most of us have a lot of stuff around our yard, whether it's a boat or construction materials, or the recycle bin. There's a thousand things that could be ignited by embers blowing into your to your yard. Deal with those and store things properly away, and you'll greatly reduce the potential for your home to ignite. And that's the kind of advantage that our firefighters really need. Um, if we do our jobs in our own backyards, and work with our neighbors so that collectively communities uh, become more fire resistant, um, we can avoid these disasters. Because you've mentioned uh, previously that even the community of Lytton, because it's been left a bit untended this summer, is already under threat again to some extent, because a lot of what you've just been mentioned hasn't been done, even though there are very few structures there now that a lot of the overgrowth and so on could easily see something unfortunate happen again there. Well, that's right, Ben, and many of us in southern Canada and southern British Columbia live in grassy places, and grass grows very quickly, even after fires. It'll be, you know, that dry grass will be back in place and ready to burn again um, by August or even July. So uh, it's, uh, it's a matter of maintaining those conditions and dealing with those accumulations of fuel sometimes more than once a year, um, in order to uh, remove the hazards that exist. Yeah, I guess one of the, the the mistakes we always make is we look at something like, you know, just the high temperatures of that week in Lytton and the ferocity of that fire and think that couldn't happen elsewhere. Whereas the way you describe how that fire spread, uh, as you said, extreme, definitely extreme, but certainly not exceptional. Thank you for your advice tonight, Alan Westhaver. That's uh, been an interesting, fascinating conversation. Great to get your insight on this. Very good. Great to get the news out and good luck to uh, all our residents in the wildland urban.